by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show where we used to think we were indecisive, but now we're just not sure. Better than before, and on our program today, we've got Kahan Krippendorf from OutThinker, and I consider him to be one of the best business strategists in the world today. We're going to be talking about business strategy on our show, and we're going to touch on his book on strategy, and he's got a brand new book which focuses on innovation. And since we're talking about strategy today, I want to share some thoughts with you on BHAG from Jim Collins. It's all coming up on the Better Than Before show brought to you by University Subaru. Right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. For over 10 years now, we have partnered with Subaru to help those in need. During the Subaru Share the Love event, when you purchase a new Subaru, University Subaru, along with Subaru of America, will make a donation in your name to one of four national charities or the Mid-Missouri Food Bank. Come by and help us help others in Mid-Missouri this holiday season. And you get a new car. We're proud to be your truly locally owned dealer. Subaru will donate $250 to purchaser or lessee selected national and hometown charities. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm your host, Tony Richards, and today... We're going to be joined by Kahan Krippendorf. He's committed to helping organizations and individuals thrive in today's era of fast-paced, disruptive technological change. He's known for his ability to turn difficult concepts into easy-to-understand ideas that drive meaningful outcomes and actions. He's an internationally recognized thought leader, battle-tested consultant, and sought-after keynote speaker on the topics of strategy, growth, and transformation. He started his career as a strategy consultant with McKinsey before founding the growth strategy and innovation consulting firm OutThinker. Also, he's uh, written four books on business strategy, growth, and transformation. We're going to talk about two of those, including his new book today. He's also a member of the prestigious Thinkers 50 class of 2019 Radar Group. He founded the OutThinker Network. 
And he's a keynote speaker, consultant, does ongoing research and writing. He's also advisory board member for a blockchain-powered transformation platform, an international food processing exporting company, and a B Corporation focused on sustainable products and lifestyle. He earned his MBA at Columbia Business School and London Business School, a Bachelor of Science in Finance from Wharton, and a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Pennsylvania, and he holds a Doctorate of Science in Economics. Kaihan, do you have any extra time? How are you even on this podcast today? <laughs> Thank you. No, it's just, I, I get to spend, luckily, most of my time researching and thinking and learning. And so um, that's just uh, those degrees are just evidence of that's what I love to do. And there's a lot of other stuff that I don't do. Thanks for doing this today. You and I met at a Gazelles conference a few years back when you were yep. talking strategy, and I was just fascinated, and I loved uh, your book on strategy, which we're going to discuss here in just a little bit. But first, tell me a little bit about your background. You had a mother from Bangladesh and a father from Germany. So how did all this come to be? Interesting. Yeah. Um, so my mother's from Bangladesh. My dad's from Germany. They both moved here for graduate school. So I'm first generation. And my wife also, her parents are from Puerto Rico and Honduras. She's a first generation as well, American. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just sort of knew that somehow I loved ideas and I was curious about learning useful ideas, not just sort of education for knowledge sake, but concepts and how they can become useful. When I was a kid, I practiced martial arts. I fell into a real love of Sun Tzu and the art of war and the similar texts, the Book of Five Rings, for example. And I think that kind of led me to having a real interest in strategy, where, what it is, where it comes from, what are the historical contexts, how does it apply? And luckily, I ended up being able to build a career doing that. Uh, but it's more kind of only post having made all the choices that I realized, wow, I, I really get to do what I love and work in the context that I'm passionate about. You've been studying growth strategy for a long time now. And what would you say is the most important thing for a head of a company who's involved in strategy or a business owner to keep in mind when setting their growth strategy? Yeah, I think that strategy is should should be looked at as as a conversation. And I know that sounds a little theoretical, but you know, strategies, words, it's debates, it's sometimes written down on a paper. And in a way, strategy doesn't matter because it's just language. But what you choose through your language, if you say, okay, guys, we're going to be headed for this much growth over the next three years, and we're going to get it by doing these three things, that starts changing actions, behaviors, choices, resource allocation, and thereby starts changing things. So I really think that we sort of do a disservice when we often talk about strategy at looking at the things that are done, but not at the language. So I think as a, as a business owner, you really want to be thinking about when you're having strategic conversations, whether that's in the boardroom, maybe it's in the hallway, maybe it's like the 10 minutes before you pick up a phone call with your team to call an important client. How are you managing that conversation? Are you giving people chances to voice opinions, to share ideas, to make choices? Are you, do you create the space to have the conversation? A long, long answer, but I think it's really important to think about the strategic conversations. 
Yeah, it's more about thinking, right? The whole strategic process. I don't want to, you know, say this is necessarily true for everyone, but I'm willing to at nine out of 10 entrepreneurs, business owners, they do their thinking, not in their heads, sitting quietly at a desk, looking at a chessboard. They do it in dialogue. They mm -hmm. do it with others, right? You're debating. Yes. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe you belong to an entrepreneurial group and you have a forum, but you do your thinking collaboratively in conversation. And when you boil it all down, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you boil it all down, it turns out to be a fairly simple idea, right? Mm, yes, it turns out to be a simple idea. And I think that there's a one type of idea. I call it in my last book, the fourth option. And I think that all strategic breakthroughs, all leaps in, in revenue come from a simple idea that after you've come up with it, it makes sense. But before you come up with it, it is an option that nobody's considered before. And the reason I like this phrase, the fourth option, is it's a metaphor that basically says there's a point at which others stop looking for options. When you hear someone say, oh, I've been in this business for 20 years, what we need to do is A, B, and C, or I've solved this problem before, the key success factors are one, two, three, they are repeating what's been done before. And where the breakthroughs come are not from doing what's been done before. Maybe that's the best option. But when we stop looking for the fourth option, the option behind the options, then that creates an opportunity for the real disruptive thinker to introduce the fourth option. Michael Dell selling computers directly to, to consumers or, or Sam Walton building stores in rural areas. All these great businesses you can trace down to a few fourth options that were one simple idea. And I don't know how many times I've done a two-day retreat around strategy and we spend the whole first day talking and immediately the morning of the second day somebody comes in and says you know i was thinking mm -hmm. and they come out with one of those fourth options or ideas yeah it's a great point because you don't know when they're going to come they're not going to come always from the boardrooms they're going to come from the hallways from the showers you know someone calling someone at 10 o'clock at the night with, a, with an idea, you never know where those fourth option ideas are going to come from. I absolutely um, loved your last book, Outthink the Competition. And I'm sure I'm going to love your new one too, which we'll get to in a second. But in Outthink the Competition, you have a process you call the Outthinker process. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah, you can think about if the journey to a fourth option is through a conversation. So you have a conversation and sometimes that fourth option idea is is what you end up with. You land on a very different idea, but so often the fourth option gets killed off somewhere in the conversation. And so what I did is I, I broke down conversations, studied lots of different strategic conversations and looked for the patterns of conversation that lead to the fourth option. And I came up with a framework I call ideas. Now I'm not saying that this is the truth or this is the ultimate framework, but we've applied it hundreds of times. It's very easy to remember and apply. Ideas. Imagine, dissect, expand, analyze, sell. So when you're having a strategic conversation with your team, you want to first imagine the future, step out into the future and set an impossible goal. And then you have a dissect conversation where you break down your business. You say, should we be focusing on products now or people 
or processes or cash or pricing? What part of the business should we be focusing on? And then you expand and you say, okay, we're going to focus on process. Let's come up with a whole bunch of ideas. We're expanding our option set. That's the ideation. And then you shift into analyze. You take all of those options and you analyze them and choose which ones you're going to pursue. And then that lands you in sell, which is building buy-in support from your employees, from your partners, from your shareholders, from your board. And so if you can make sure that you're not skipping one of those, you have a much better chance of producing fourth options in your strategic conversations. Also in the book, you talk about eight different dimensions yes. that businesses can use to innovate. So can you share those eight? Yeah. And, and, and again, I don't claim that any of these frameworks that I'm presenting are the truth, but they're useful. And this is, I have found to be a fairly comprehensive set of areas for you to look at in your business at any given time you want to be looking for breakthroughs in one of these eight areas. So the first is positioning. They sell their, their eight piece. Positioning is who's my core customer and what's my brand with that core customer? What's my value proposition for that core customer? You have product, which is what are the attributes of my product? Where do I outperform? Where do I underperform? You have pricing, which is on what basis am I going to charge? Am I going to charge per hour or per day or per use or you know a success rate? Placement is how do I distribute? What are the channels by which I get my value proposition or product to my core customer? And promotion, which is marketing, sales. What is the funnel? How do customers become aware of me, consider me, try me, become loyal? Processes are your internal operations, thinking about you know, your financial processes, your KPI processes, all of those. What could we do to, to achieve our goals? Physical experience is your customer's physical experience, that customer journey. What do they see, smell, hear, taste, touch? And often you can do something really exciting in physical experience that really differentiates you, even if none of the other P's are differentiated. And then the last one, I put it last because not because it's the least important, because I think increasingly it is the most important, which is people. Thinking about my people, my organization, how do I organize people? What's my incentive structure? What are my cultural values? And who and how do I hire? So you can think these, each of these doors open up to innumerable possible fourth options. And the lesson here for me really is we often focus on the same ones over and over again. Like our business is not growing and we keep going back to promotion, promotion, try to, you know, hire more salespeople, optimize our sales process, improve our marketing. But maybe it's one of the other P's. You know, maybe the reason that we haven't found the winning move and a promotion is because our real problem is in people, our culture, or in the physical experience, or under our positioning, or selling to the wrong core customer. So th those are the eight P's. One of the things I think about strategy, which is very important, and maybe it's because a lot of the clients I work with are trying to fight from underneath or they're trying to find a foothold in the marketplace against a market leader in many cases. And to me, differentiation, you know, how are you different is a really important component to strategy. And you talk about companies today need to think different 
in order to achieve that differentiation. So how do they think different? Yeah, I think this is really fascinating. If we, if we go back to strategy as a conversation, we can get insight into how people are thinking about strategy by analyzing how they talk. And what I did for my doctorate work is I looked at how do successful companies today, like the Googles, the Amazons, the, the Netflixes, the Airbnbs, the, the, the Alibabas, how do they talk differently than their less successful peers? And you see five different patterns jump out. I'll just tick them off here. They talk more about competing for tomorrow rather than today. And the reason that that's important is because things are moving so much more quickly that tomorrow is coming much more quickly. You can't wait to you know, introduce an innovation, let it scale, and then wait 10 years to come up with the next innovation. You already have to be playing for tomorrow. They talk about coordinating the uncoordinated. So instead of controlling things, they coordinate them. They don't own the – they don't need to own the cars as Uber doesn't own the cars. They don't need to own the – rooms as Airbnb doesn't own the rooms, right? So they look at power coming from coordination rather than control. The next one is basically that they don't define themselves by their industry. They define themselves by something else that allows them to behave differently. At one of the Gazelle's conferences, I got to hear Tony Shea, he spoke to the group and he said, we were going pretty well when we thought of ourselves as a shoe company, but when we really took off is when we said, we're not a shoe company, we're a customer service company that happens to sell shoes. And you see that pattern of thought in many, many, many companies that are successful. The fourth one is to be good, which is they really embrace this strategic value of pursuing good in the world. They don't view it as the old paradigm, which was make money. And if you make money, then it's, you, you know, it's a good thing to give it away. It is like today, it's, you don't have to choose. You don't get to choose. If you want to maximize your shareholder value, if you want to make a lot of money, the way to do that sustainably is to do good in the world. And then the last one is to create something out of nothing. They look at creating new categories like Red Bull created the energy drink or Gatorade created the sports drink category, new needs, new occasions. They create things that weren't there before. So those are the five thought patterns that you can say really is that Amazon or that Alibaba or that Netflix playbook. We're talking with Kahan Krippendorf today. We've been talking about business strategy and we're going to shift gears here just a little bit because in your material that you've written about and talked about, you're expanding and, and now you're talking a lot about innovation. And that's what your new book's all about, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm super excited about my new book. It really does build on my prior book. My prior book is How Do You Come Up With a Fourth Option? This book is What Happens After You Have the Fourth Option, especially if you have an established company. So often, that very disruptive, different idea gets killed off because of the existing norms or hierarchies or bureaucracy or culture of an established company. So in this book, I interviewed 150 internal innovators, and I sought to understand what was their journey from taking an idea that they develop inside a company, and how do they overcome the barriers to get that idea in the market? Those barriers you talk about, that bureaucracy, that red tape, that possible pain that is created a lot of times by employees of that firm, what are those key barriers yeah. you believe they face? 
Yeah, and you can look at these barriers either from the employee side or from the leader side. Given your audience, I thought I'd describe them from the leader side. So if you're if you if you're on the top of the organization, your big ideas are not going to come from you. Your big ideas are going to come from your employees. You know, Steve Jobs did not come up with many of the ideas that made Apple great. Those were conceived of by employees who really pushed him often with him saying no and pushed for the idea. So leaders, I think it's important for them to think about whether they allow internal innovation. And there are basically seven things. The first is intent, which is your people may have stopped trying to innovate because they lost the intent because they've been told no so so often. The next is need. They don't may not understand what you need, what your company needs, because they don't understand your strategy. So you really want to clarify your strategy so that everyone understands that. Options is that they don't come up with enough ideas. They'll get kind of go satisfied when they have three or four ideas. We want them to come up with 40, 50, 60 ideas. I come up with ideas all the time. Then value blockers is that their ideas may be inconsistent with your business model. And many people view that as a reason that the idea will not work from inside your company. Like, you know, they have an idea and they want to price it in a certain way. And that's not the way that you currently price, or they want to sell it to a certain type of customer. And that's not the kind of customer you currently serve. So there are clever ways to overcome those value blockers. And the last three is ACT, which is innovations are often better served by taking an act, learn, build approach. In other words, running an inexpensive experiment. Many of our clients like this idea of a five, five, five experiment, five people, $5,000, five weeks, one or two days a week. And maybe you don't allow your employees the freedom to run these experiments. Team is about that the innovation typically is worked on by a cross silo or a cross functional team. And it might be hard for your people to collaborate across different functions. Like, could someone in sales team up with someone in accounting, team up with someone in operations to go all work on an idea together? Or is that difficult for them to do? And then finally, environment, which are the organizational requirements to allow for the freedom that you need. And there are four sets of these organizational elements, including your leadership, your culture, your structure, and what kind of talent you have. And again, I force these into a framework that hopefully is easy to remember, I-N-O-V-A-T-E, intent, need, options, value blockers, act, team, environment. Uh, I know it's going to be hard for someone to remember it with just short little descriptions here. But my intention is that that makes it easy for us to remember and apply them. Sure. And they can get your book, too. Yes. So, yes. You know, I had one CEO in the past. He ran a pretty good sized company and he was so into innovation. He wanted to. He never never was able to do it, but he wanted to form an even a moonshot department. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've had other business owners and executives say, how do I get my employees to try to sell me on more things to improve the company? How do I get them to come to me with ideas? I'll throw that one at you. How do you do that? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, there a, a big barrier that uh, prevents people from coming to you with ideas is they are they have this fear of failure, right? Like the, that risk won't be uh, allowed. But the risk is usually more in their minds than in actuality. They might say, "Oh, if I propose this idea, you know, I'll lose my job." And then you ask them, "Do you really think you would lose your job?" And they say, "No, we, I don't think I'd actually lose my job." So it is sort of in the back of their minds. And what it 
often is, is that you as the leader, the way that you respond to ideas, you know, maybe these micro gestures, maybe you just sort of cringe or you laugh a little or you, or you tell a little joke that unintentionally is demeaning the idea. So really want to look at those subtle cues that you give to people. And I find that when a leader adjusts their, their natural response to new ideas, they can very quickly turn on the tap of ideas. You might look at Amy Edmondson, who's a professor at Harvard. She's done a lot of fascinating research on psychological safety. And it's a way of measuring to what degree people inside your organization feel safe and therefore are willing to share new ideas or criticize things that we're doing. That's awesome. That's that's really good advice. A lot of times it's just simply in the interaction because you're triggering a fear of rejection or something like yes, that. Yes, yes. We're going to tell everybody how they can find out more about you and your new book and your existing books and everything in just a second. But first, everybody that comes on the show, we ask them 12 rapid-fire questions. These are short and sweet and just want to throw these at you one at a time. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. Number one, what is the best memory for Kaihan Krippendorf that immediately comes to mind? On my birthday in high school, I won my, my swim meet and it was the fastest I ever swam. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Who's the number one hero in your life? I'd say Gandhi. What's the top value you subscribe to? possibility that anything's possible most important person in your life my wife what's her name pilar ramos and do you guys have any kids we have three what's their names they are makar my youngest kyra and lucas wonderful your favorite thing in the whole world food and cooking <laughs> well that leads to what's your favorite food Oh my gosh, I'm so interested in so many different kinds of food, it's hard to pick, but I have for the last few years really been into barbecue. Oh wow, we live in the Midwest. We got Kansas City, we got St. Louis, and we got Memphis, all triangular here. Yeah, I'm gonna bring some ribs over and uh, we'll do a cook-off. Most beautiful place you've ever been to? Tuscany. If you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? Fulfillment. How do you want to be remembered? For my ideas and how they shape the future. If you could go back and speak to a young Kaihan, what would be uh, some advice that you would give yourself? Easy. Learn. Learn from your mistakes. Don't resist having made mistakes. What's your favorite sound? I'm really into this app called Focus at Will that plays music that puts you into a deep focus state. Wow, that's awesome. And last question, since we've talked so much about learning, what is the best lesson you've learned? To be honest, so that you can learn faster. Ah, very good. Kyan, tell everybody how they can find out more about you and about your books and your new book. So the easiest way is just remember my first name and go to kaihan.net, K-A-I-H-A-N.net. And there you can find my book. My latest book is called Driving Innovation from Within. Wonderful. Kyan Krippendorf, everybody from OutThinker. Thanks so much for doing this today, Kyan. Thank you for having me on. 
I'll have more on Better Than Before right after this. For over 10 years now, we have partnered with Subaru to help those in need. During the Subaru Share the Love event, when you purchase a new Subaru, University Subaru, along with Subaru of America, will make a donation in your name to one of four national charities or the Mid-Missouri Food Bank. Come by and help us help others in Mid-Missouri this holiday season. And you get a new car. We're proud to be your truly locally owned dealer. Subaru will donate $250 to purchaser or lessee selected national and hometown charities. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. On the Better Than Before show, we're talking about strategy today, and I wanted to continue the theme by talking about the BHAG, the B-H-A-G. And we'll start with a quote. When Paul Allen and I started Microsoft over 30 years ago, we had big dreams about software. We had dreams about the impact it could have. We talked about a computer on every desk and in every home. And that became Microsoft's BHAG, their big, hairy, audacious goal. This idea was introduced in Jim Collins and Jerry Porras's book, Built to Last. But what is the BHAG? What is the big, hairy, audacious goal? Well, it's a long-term, 10 to 25-year goal guided by your company's core values and purpose. That's what it is described by Collins. But it's more than just a goal, really. We're talking about a challenge that is so audacious, so outside the box, and so hairy that it might feel like you're never going to achieve it. You're never going to get there. We're talking about a put a man on the moon level type goal. However, your BHAG must be connected to your company's underlying strategy or else it just becomes an aspirational statement or a random number somebody picks like a push goal or a stretch goal. Some would say one of the biggest values that gets demonstrated when the BHAG is in place is that it gets you out of thinking too small. Ironically, setting a long-term goal that is big, audacious, also creates a sense of urgency. If everybody buys into it and your BHAG is to enable human exploration and settlement of Mars, which is SpaceX, then you best believe it won't happen in a mediocre company. Your BHAG is your Mount Everest you want to climb. It's the one clear purpose and vision that everyone on your team is on board with. If anyone is ever unclear about the direction that we want to head, or if a decision is beneficial for the company, they only need to ask, is this getting us closer to or farther away from our BHAG? This clear goal also influences all current and future recruitment as you want to hire the best people you can in order to achieve this audacious goal. Not only that, but this clarity also helps attract the right people who want to be part of realizing this big, hairy, audacious goal with your organization. 
When I think about it, I'd say the best reason a BHAG is critical for your company is because it forces you to become amazing and visionary. It's a goal that transforms your organization into what you eventually want it to be. The paradox of putting a good BHAG in place is that it has to be so audacious that there is a possibility you might not get there. Sounds a little crazy, right? But if you set a BHAG that you're 100% sure that you're going to achieve, then it isn't that big, it isn't that hairy, and it isn't that audacious. And that's what we're aiming for. We're aiming for the stars. And if we miss, we land on the moon. Why do we want a goal that we might not achieve? Because that is the second element of a good BHAG. It makes your organization much better because you're shooting for something that's really out there. The sheer boldness of your goal is a mechanism that will stimulate progress. I'm reminded of Vince Lombardi, the famous coach of the Green Bay Packers, who used to say, we're going to strive for perfection and we're going to become excellent in the process. In order to take a man safely to the moon and back, NASA had to operate on a superb level. BHAGs help build great companies because you can't achieve a BHAG without greatness in place. And finally, you have to have some measurement in your BHAG. If we talk about the NASA example I've cited a couple of times, they knew they had to achieve their BHAG when they safely put a man on the moon and brought him back to Earth before 1970. So make sure your goal is measurable or else it won't be helpful. So here are some elements of a good BHAG. It's got to feel like it's at least 70% achievable by your team. It has to be clear and compelling. It has to expand and cause your current capabilities to be developed and stretched. It's measurable. It's got to be connected to your strategy. And it's a long-term, probably a minimum of 10 years or longer. So there are at least four types of big, hairy, audacious goals. One might be target-oriented, so you set a clearly defined quantitative or qualitative goal. For example, become a $125 billion company by the year 2000, which Walmart did in 1990. It might be competitive, which would be competing with a common enemy. For example, we will destroy Yamaha, which was Honda's BHAG in the 1970s. It might be a role model. Mimic traits of another successful company outside your immediate competition. Become the Nike of the cycling industry, which was Gyro Sports Design in 1986. Internal transformation. Focus internally on your own transformational change. Here's an example. Transform this company from a defense contractor into the best diversified high-tech company in the world, which was Rockwell's in 1995. In order to scale your company, you need to make sure you have a solid strategy in place so when you set your BHAG, you have a way to achieve it. You need a complete framework that encapsulates your strategy in a way that everyone in the organization can understand it and head toward the BHAG. Our coaching and advice at Clear Vision can help you with all that. Just shoot me an email, tony at clearvisiondevelopment.com or visit our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com to learn more about strategy and how we can help you. That's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. Right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. 
From here, been here, always will be here, University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Please follow us on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and at ClearVisionDEV. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm your host, Tony Richards, reminding you everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.